This morning I came home from uh, Easter sunrise. Um, outside over here, it was beautiful. It was a little crisp, 51 degrees. Um, for me, that's like Arctic temperatures. So uh, I was wearing 16 layers and uh, a parka. If I hadn't taken my puffy coat to the West Virginia house, I would have been wearing that. Um, but uh, so I got home and the phone rang, my, my cell phone. And when, when calls come in at St. James, uh, I have a setting that it automatically rings through. And I thought Easter morning, I should receive calls. Whatever call comes in on Easter morning, I better be sure that the phone is personed. And I answered the phone. And it was, uh, many of you know, some of you don't, uh, Tracy, who always describes himself as Tracy who sits on the back row. Uh, that's how he, every email begins, James, this is Tracy from the back row. And Tracy, um, on the 28th of uh, March, uh, went into the hospital because he was having heart-related problems. And first he was in Inova, in Inova, Alexandria, and then he was transferred to Inova Fairfax, where they talked about heart transplant surgery because his heart was that bad. And then I missed going to see him for two days because I was out of town. Uh, and then I called the hospital to see where Tracy was, you know, to say, be sure he hadn't been moved out of a room. You know, I like to do that before I go. And Tracy wasn't in the hospital anymore. So I'm like, oh, this is not good. I, at least maybe it is good. I don't know. What does this mean? So I emailed him because I don't have any other way to contact him. And uh, to be near family, he had moved hospitals to VCU in Richmond. So I'm like, okay, I can't just pop by to see him in Richmond. It is a little bit of a trip. Um, but his sister called me this morning, Joyce. I met his sister, Joyce, and his cousin, Joyce, uh, at the hospital. And Joyce called to say, Tracy had a major surgery this week, and he's doing much better. They decided not to do transplant surgery. And he is, you know, he's moved for the first time in three weeks from an ICU room into a regular room. So he's getting better. So that was my first resurrection story of the morning, a personal sense of resurrection. I've been praying for Tracy every day. He has been in my heart. And, uh, and his heart is a little uh, edgy there. So nine hours of surgery later, and Tracy is now... Um, better. He's doing better. So I, hopefully this week I'll get a chance to pop by Richmond uh, and see him. But, I, you know, that was the first resurrection story. And then in the tiniest way, you know, resurrection stories don't have to be big. You know, I was sitting in my chair up there at the beginning of worship. Worship was beginning. The song was the first, second song. I lost track of where it was. And Josh, my son, you know, he's got to give me a pep talk sometimes. You know, Josh is like, Dad, I know you're feeling a lot of pressure. It's Easter. Really? <laughs> it's Easter? Oh, no! I prepared for you. Christmas! We're in trouble! No, it wasn't like that at all. Uh, I'm trying to be light because, you know, those kinds of moments really touch you. When he came up and he said, Dad, I know you're going to be good. No matter what you say, it's going to be all right because God is with you. I believe in you. You remind me of God every morning. 
And so I had another little resurrection story right there, you know, right in the beginning of worship. If you think that resurrection stories only happened 2,000 years ago, you have missed it. You have missed it. Because in our lives, there are moments that give us life, that remind us why we do this every day, why we get up out of bed, why we go to work, or why we watch our friends, or why we call our parents, or why we pay attention to what's going on around us. We do those things because when we do them, we can experience new life. That's what resurrection is. It's new life. So I'm going to read you a story. It's an old, old story. This is the 2,000-year-old story because, hey, it's Easter. i got to read it to you. Uh, they would take back my uh, pastor card if I did not read you the story of the resurrection. You know, I would lose it. Tomorrow I'd get a call. Okay, I hear you didn't read the uh, Gospel of John. Pass that card back over there, James. Right. Uh, so this is the story from the Gospel of John uh, in chapter 20. Uh, Jesus has died. It's the first day of the week, so it's Sunday morning. That's considered the first day of the week. Yesterday, Saturday. When we talk about Sunday as Sabbath, Sunday isn't really Sabbath. Saturday is Sabbath. It's the seventh day of the week. And because it was Sabbath, there were no preparations that could be done for Jesus. He died late enough in the day. He had to be just thrown in a tomb, no preparation. So um, we get the sense from the other Gospels that some of the women were coming to the tomb to prepare his body, to anoint his body uh, with spices. In this, in this gospel, it's only Mary Magdalene is the only one mentioned. Early in the morning on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. She ran to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, I don't know which one that is, but uh, in any case, the one whom Jesus loved and said, they have taken the Lord from the tomb and we don't know where they put him. Peter and the other disciple left to go to the tomb. They were running together. Apparently it's a foot race. They are running together, but the other disciple ran faster than Peter and was first to arrive at the tomb. Bending down to take a look, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he didn't go in. Following him, Simon Peter entered the tomb and saw the linen cloths laying there. He also saw the face cloth that had been on Jesus' head. It wasn't with the other cloths, but was folded up in its own place. Then the other disciple, the one whom arrived at the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They didn't yet understand the scripture that Jesus must be risen from the dead. Then the disciples returned to the place where they were staying. Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she cried, she bent down to look into the tomb. She saw two angels dressed in white seated there at the body where the body of Jesus had been, one at the head, one at the foot. The angels asked her, woman, why are you crying? Oh my goodness, what do you mean? In any case, you know, master of the obvious, all right. She replied, they've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've put him. As soon as she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? Thinking he was the gardener. 
Pay attention. Thinking he was the gardener, she replied, Sir, if you carried him away, tell me where you put him and I'll get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means my teacher. Jesus said to her, Don't hold on to me, for I haven't gone up to my father. Go to my brothers and sisters and tell them, I'm going up to the father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene left and announced to the disciples, I've seen the Lord. Then she told them what he said to her. This is the gospel of the Lord for Easter Sunday. Thanks be to God. Well, that's the original resurrection story. And when I look at this beautiful original res resurrection story, I see a couple of hints about... Um, discovering our own resurrection stories, seeing new life wherever we are. Uh, first of all, I want to take a brief look at the key disciples in this. The one Jesus loved, I don't know who that was, and Peter, two key players. They think the resurrection story is a foot race. Getting to the answer as quickly as humanly possible, and whoever gets there first wins. Now, apparently, the beloved disciple got there first. But apparently, because all the other stories say Peter peeked in first, the beloved disciple said, I'll let Peter go first. You know, maybe he had learned something in all of his time hanging out with Jesus. You know, maybe he at least learned that the first will be last and the last will be first. I'm going to let the, uh, Peter go in first. He can be last, and I'll be first. You know, I don't know. Whatever he was saying to himself, or she. The beloved disciple could have been a she. It doesn't say. It just says the beloved disciple. Uh, I suspect, you know, I don't know what I suspect. It doesn't really matter what I suspect. But it's not a foot race. If you've been racing your whole life so you could be the first one to your own resurrection story, to the tomb that is empty, you're unlikely as you race by, thought by thought by thought by thought, by quick, by reading more books, I have uh, an addiction. I'll own it. Anne knows that I have the addiction. She saw this beautiful thing. She brought it back to me. Of course, it's Thomas Jefferson from the University of Virginia. Have you heard them? They're uh, the national of basketball champions. Just in case, I went there, the university where Thomas Jefferson started it. Okay, there we go. That's enough. I've said it now out loud. That was my moment. Perhaps I'm also addicted to my own arrogance because I graduated from that school. All right. Apparently, Thomas Jefferson said, and this is absolutely accurate, I'm sure, I cannot live without books. That is my true addiction. I cannot live without books. And sometimes, instead of sitting in centering prayer, my temptation is to pull out a book and read about centering prayer. Sometimes my temptation is to read about the Bible. Sometimes my temptation is to read about some practice. Not practice some practice, mind you. It's like if you want to be a long-distance runner, you might read a book about being a long-distance runner, but if all you ever do is read books about being a long-distance runner, i got some news for you. You will never be a long-distance runner, but you'll know a lot of stuff about long-distance running. You'll know it. If you don't ever open yourself up to the possibility in the way you practice of encountering 
your own resurrection story of God calling your name, then you might not get it. If you just race from one new thing you learn to the next new thing you learn to the next new thing you learn. You know, I know a lot of things about this book. The more I know about this book, the more I know I don't know about this book, to be honest with you. My undergraduate degree from UVA is in religious studies. And then because I transferred seminaries, I had to do four years of seminary, not three. So I am, I am learned. Not to mention that I grew up in the church, so I went to Sunday school every week. Remember I told you? 18 years of perfect attendance. 18 years. I never missed an opportunity to learn about this book. I know it. But if I only know this book and I don't know the God behind this book, it's really kind of a pointless book. It might as well be Firestarter. It might as well be a Firestarter at the cabin in West Virginia if I don't let this become a part of who I am. And you see, the resurrection story is meant to become a part of who you are. And the thing is, we saw the foot race of the first two. And then once they got there and they saw that it was empty... Even the beloved disciples said he saw and believed. And I always thought, wow, he finally got it. But the very next sentence says, the very next sentence says, because they didn't understand about the resurrection. So no, he didn't get it. He believed that the temple, he finally, Mary said Jesus' body was gone. It took running all the way to the tomb to, to believe Mary that the tomb was empty. Not that he was risen, just empty. That's all he believed. But Mary hung out. Mary hung out. Mary didn't try to rush through her grief or her sadness or uncertainty. She hung out. She waited in her grief. She didn't let somebody rush her through. Let's get to the other side. You know, if you've ever lost somebody significant in your life, about two or three months in, somebody's going to say to you, aren't you over it yet? Aren't you over it yet? Please don't ever say that to somebody. Please don't ever say that. It's like the stupidest thing you could ever say. And if you have, ever have, I'm absolving you right now, as long as you never do it again. Because that's just, you never get over death. Never. It becomes less intense, perhaps, over time. But it is never something you're over. We, Mary wasn't going to rush through her grief, so she stands there crying. The other disciples, you know, I don't know, rushing off to go back and tell everybody what they know now because they didn't believe Mary, apparently. Mary waits, and the next time she peeks in, there's two angels. Why are you weeping? They've taken away my master. I don't know where he is. Then she turns around, and she sees Jesus. Only she doesn't know it's Jesus. You know, how often we're in the presence of Jesus, in the presence of the eternal Christ, and we don't notice it right at first? It's almost always in, in, in retrospect. When Joshua came up to the, on the stage with me earlier, Jesus came up on the stage with me earlier. When Joyce called me on the phone this morning, Jesus called me on the phone this morning. When I got up and walked to worship at the, uh, 
at the, for the 6.30 service, I was walking at 5 o'clock in the morning. You know, there's a lot less traffic, but it ne- there, there is still traffic. I could hear the hum of 395 while walking to church, five blocks away. In any case, we don't need to go there. But the birds greeted me this morning. Christ greeted me this morning. You see, if, if we're patient and we learn to see, we see, we see Christ everywhere. But sometimes it takes a minute. Mary stood facing Jesus and did not recognize him. It could also mean that our resurrection bodies don't look like the, like the unresurrected body. I don't know. I don't know exactly what it means. But I think it means that sometimes it's real hard to recognize Jesus right off. So she says, she thinks he's the gardener. How true is that? Who was the word that was spoken that made everything come into being, including the garden? Jesus, hello. If you read John chapter 1, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, and the word was making everything and doing everything. That was God. Word. Word. Jesus. Okay, too much coffee and sugar this morning. We're going to have to stand back down. I'm calming back down again. So, the gardener, Jesus the gardener, is right there. How true is that? Totally true. She mistakes him for the gardener, asks him the question, but then, when does she know who it is? When he says her name. You know, a lot of people try to name us in life. Stupid, slow, fat, skinny, ugly, Successful, unsuccessful, outsider, insider, Christian, Muslim, Jew, atheist. You can get a name anywhere you go. But there is only one in all eternity who can name you, and that one is love. That one is love. And that one, don't let anything in your life less than love name you. Anything. Anything. Because you see, when love names you, you find new life. You find new life. So if you're cultivating and looking for that resurrection story that's yours, what is my resurrection story? Stop looking for it in the big things. Boom, the tomb is open, and boom, it's rolled back. And you almost hear the crackle and the rip and the tear and the explosion. And, you know, you almost want, to, you know, some good Hollywood of sound effects and lighting effects and CGI. Boom! There's a big light and it blows your eyes out and you're excited. Except you can't see it anymore because it blew your eyes out. I mean, you know, the whole thing. That's what you hope for. And it's the subtlety. It's the subtlety. You know, my favorite musical of all time, I'll just tell you, Les Miserables. I love all musicals. You know, I could probably sing several for you right now, but you'd run screaming, and and we want you to stay for a while longer. But at the very end, as uh, everyone's had a bit of a tragic life in Les Miserables, But in in the musical, you know, there's a truth that once was spoken. 
To love another person is to see the face of God. To love another person is to see the face of God. To fall in love with this creation God has made is to see the face of God. To see the face of God because the face of God is love. So if you've ever experienced love, and if you haven't, that's tragic. That really is deeply tragic. But if you have ever experienced love, true love, free, open, unconditional love, then you have begun to experience a resurrection story for you. Look for the love. I encourage you today to make space like Mary did. You don't have to go weep. It doesn't have to be a weeping experience. Take a walk this afternoon. Sit in the grass in your front yard this afternoon or someone else's front yard if you don't have grass in your front yard. Sometimes your front yard is dirt. I have weeds in my front yard, but I love my weeds. They're my weeds, and I like them. Sit in the grass. Go find a tree. And I kid you not, you're going to think I've gone crazy. Hug the tree. Hug the tree. Touch the bark. That is a unique tree made by God. Okay, we're crossing lines now, James. Calm down. You can encounter God everywhere. Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, that the first Bible is creation. The first Bible is creation. Long before that book was written, the first Bible was written. In the birds that sang, this morning I got distracted in my sermon because this hawk had the audacity to land on a branch directly. Everybody else was looking at me, and I was looking at the hawk. God only knows what I said to him at the sunrise service. Hopefully, it's something about the resurrection. The truth is you can encounter God everywhere. You can experience resurrection every moment of your life. But start practicing now. Make space. Put down your phone. I know. Sacrilege, James. Put down your computer screen. Turn off the television set. Go outside. Feel the breeze in your face, the sun in your face. Hold somebody's hand, provided they let you hold your hand. You know, you should ask first. You know, don't just walk up to a stranger. Here, I'm going to hold your hand. Find a way to encounter, to open yourself up to the encounter with God that will bring new life to you because that is your resurrection story. Jesus came out of that tomb to open us up to life all of us, to suck the marrow out of it, to live it in every instant, in every moment. And that can be your resurrection story if you're open and ready for the love of God to break in or break out or sneak in. Like when your son comes up on stage and talks to you or someone who you've been praying about diligently their sister calls you on the phone to tell you how they're doing. Those can be real resurrection moments when you're reminded of life and our connection. So.